This evening, we're going to look at it from another perspective, but it deals with the same issue, how to live this other life, how to, how to do the impossible. How, does, how did Jesus do it? And uh, to see this, we're just going to look at a number of texts, but all based around three mysteries. Mysteries that have been hidden, but are revealed in Christ. The first mystery is the one that you probably are all thinking of, and that's in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 25, Paul is speaking to the church at Colossus, and he says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the preaching of the word of God concerning the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints. Not just spoken to his saints, but shown to his saints, manifested to his saints. There is a mystery that was hidden from the beginning of creation up until Christ. And actually, the, the disciples themselves did not discover the mystery until Pentecost and afterwards. That's why the mystery did not come to pass in their life until after the cross. They received the Holy Spirit by the breathing on of, of Jesus upon them to receive the Holy Spirit after the cross. But it wasn't until Pentecost that this other life started moving and having his will and way in them. And from that point on, the mystery was discovered, manifested. They discovered they could look at themselves. And I know all of you have done that, as I've done that, Look at ourselves in some situation where it's clear that what has just taken place is beyond our own abilities. Hearing something come out of our mouth that did not come by way of our own intellect, that it did not come by our reasoning, our thinking it through, thinking it out, putting it together, discovering the life of another using these frail facilities to do his work and uh, we have several preachers here today, or pastors, who know what I'm talking about. They have, they've, they've in faith, have moved out to uh, serve the Lord, and uh, have found themselves before a, a small or a large group, and in the midst of their sharing, their mind is somewhere else. Their mind is listening to what's coming out of their mouth. They recognize they didn't put it together like that. And they feel the life in it. Those of you who have taught, many of you here have taught, maybe every one of you here have experienced it. But you need to take note of it. You need to become conscious of it. And once you discover this life, once you discover the presence of the Spirit moving in and through you, you'll not find peace living outside of that life. A phrase that came to me when I came back from China, one of my early trips to China, I came back and all I could say to Patty, my wife, all I could say to her is, honey, I can live in this. And I wasn't meaning China, although I could have that also. But just being in the midst of him, him living and moving and having his being was well, just, it's just like that. And, and once you've discovered it, nothing else will satisfy you. You'll no longer seek those things that satisfy men. You're always dissatisfied, always hungering for the reality of that life. There was a day that if I was a part of a congregation, you know, I'd want to be somebody there. Not just do, but I'd want to be a teacher, an elder, a pastor, something. I'd want to, and you don't think consciously, well, I need to have an identity of recognition here. It's just the nature of Adam. It is. It's Adam's nature. It's your nature. I'm not, I'm not alone here. I don't, I'm not embarrassed by that. I know I didn't say anything that surprised any of you. But that's, that, that was the way it was. I have found something out over the years. And I've discovered it's far better not to have that place and let God do his work. Let him establish your life, your ministry. Because then it's hard for men to reject. You take on a position of your own, and it's easy for men to reject that. But if you're not in a position, if they can't fire you, 
you know, if they can't dismiss you, you're free. You're not in their thing. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. Well, I've taken a lot of words to say that. But this other life is what it is all about. And we see here in Colossians chapter 1, this other life, that is this mystery, the preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. It is the spirit of Antichrist. We read that in 1 John 4. It is the spirit of Antichrist that cannot say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And it is not talking, let me remind you, it's not talking about Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh 2,000 years ago because the demons announced that. It's that Jesus Christ has come now in the flesh. It's the mystery that was hidden. And it is the very thing that that the evil one works day and night with all of his minions to keep hidden and to keep the children of God in the lie. That Christ has come in the flesh now. And that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to the saints. This mystery which is, the, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete. That we might present every man complete in Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit and those of us who are called to minister to the body, and that's every one of you, it's that we might present every man, that we might be working, laboring to present every man complete in Christ. Husbands, you need to be laboring to see that your wife is being presented complete in Christ. Wives, you need to labor as helpmates to see that Christ is so formed in your husband that he can be presented complete in Christ. We need to be working with our children to that end. We need to see with our children the issue is not doctrines. And it's not a form of religion. It is not some doctrinal leaning that we're trying to establish them in. It is we're trying to establish them complete in the living Christ. That Jesus is being formed in them. Not a set of principles, not a set of precepts. Jesus himself is being formed. And the approach to seeing that Christ is formed as opposed to seeing that character traits are formed or doctrines are formed are two different things. You can bring forth character traits and it be just an imitation of Christ. But if Christ is being formed, they don't have to imitate his character. They have his character. That's the difference. And I suggest to you that most of the church has been living in the latter. Not that they are conscious of ill motives. It's just their motive. It's just feeling like it's the thing they should do. The motive may just simply be to feel better about themselves. The motive might be even a bit altruistic. It might be a good motive, as Adam's was. To be able to know good from evil. To be able to make decisions without having to consult God. Being able to perform when... It seems he's not present. Having a set of guidelines, virtues, precepts, understandings by which he might make decisions and choose on his own how to do that which God might do. 
The motives are the same. It's an imitation. It's not godliness. That's why Jesus could say in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and we might look at it here in a minute, it is the very reason Jesus was able to say there will be some of those who in, in that day, judgment day, will stand before me and say, Lord, I mean they're calling him Lord. They believed that he was Lord. They had a doctrine of lordship. They understood that he was Lord. They called him Lord. Did we not in your name? We didn't even try to take the credit for what we did. Didn't we in your name, Lord, cast out demons, perform many mighty miracles? Were we not about your business, that which is godlike? And Jesus' response was quite hurtful, almost offensive. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Godlike stuff. Iniquity. Because it did not have as its beginning place. It did not have as its source. And that's the difference. The mystery of godliness, it takes the presence of God and God's activity in the man that produces the action that in itself is godliness. Unless it is God doing it, God can't get the credit godlike godliness. And that's the mystery. So much of what we, we've been doing has been to construct around us frameworks, doctrines, teachings even, that enable us to live a godlike life, having the form thereof, but lacking what? The power. What does it mean, lacking the power? Its source was not from God. It did not have as its Unction. It did not have as its strength. It did not have as its push the life of God himself. A form of godliness, a form, a religious form, absent of it being initiated, activated by the activity and the presence of God himself. It takes God to manifest the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. Colossians chapter 2. The man who ends up, <clears throat> the Christian who ends up in the place. I'm convinced of this. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen my life pattern this. And I see it often in the church. A person turns to the Lord. I mean, he, his turning is right. He turns to the Lord. He discovers the Lord. And once you understand this mystery of godliness, you will come to the place and you will recognize that the only hope for you and I of godliness is to get to know him and enter into the kind of relationship with him whereby he can live out his life. There's no other way for you to, to walk in this mystery. There's no other way for you to be fulfilled in this mystery, but many have turned to Christ and have accepted his atonement on their behalf. And because of doctrines and teachings of the church, they've then tried to live out their life by imitating a form, by believing that somehow they had to perform, they had to live by some code of ethics, some, some doctrines or teachings. Don't misunderstand me, there are doctrines, there are teachings. But their purpose is not to perform in us by their imitation godliness. It takes God in the man and in the woman, in the child, for godliness to be manifested, for godliness to come forth. We see a hint of what the opposite is like in the church in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world... Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? We do our children harm, not in helping them understand what sin is and to understand the way of Christ, but in leading them to believe that they can live by a set of do this and don't do that. That in itself empowers sin. Are you hearing? 
It is the law that empowers sin. It is do not touch the wet paint that empowers touching. That's a reality of Adam. Adam, and this is the first mystery that was hidden. The next two mysteries, we'll go to now Second Timothy. First Timothy chapter 3. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. This is Paul writing to his uh, disciple, Timothy, his, his son in the Lord. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. The issue is how to conduct oneself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession... Great is the mystery, what mystery? Of godliness. By common confession, everyone knows, that's what Paul is saying, that great is the mystery of godliness. Be ye holy as I am holy. That's a great mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. It is this mystery that we want to address. It continues, however, he who was revealed in the flesh, God, was vindicated in the spirit, proven, made real, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What is the mystery of godlikeness or godliness? We've talked about imitation before. We've talked about beholding requiring uh, the presence of the object, that, like a mirror. A mirror is unlike a painting. A painting may be of an object that is not present with the painting. In order for an object to be in a mirror, in order for a mirror to present an object, there must be the presence of the object. It is the presence of the object that brings forth the image in the mirror. And we are like mirrors, beholding like mirrors the glory of the Lord and are being transformed. As we look on Him, He is being manifested out of us. It takes the presence of the object. That truth is revealed also in this issue of godliness. If God had created us with the capacity to be imitators, ape-like, parrot-like, in our ability to mimic God. If we were created in that way, to be able to be good imitators, like parrots, to mimic that which we're observing, then all of the credit and all of the worth would not be in the object imitated but would be with the skill and the ability and the capabilities of the parrot. And the parrot would get all of the credit and all of the glory. We're not created like that. We're not created with the capacity to imitate like parrots. In order for godliness to be uh, manifested in our life, in order for the mystery of godliness to be revealed, it takes the presence of God in the man. And that's the mystery. The mystery is it takes the presence of God in the man for godliness to be revealed. There is no moral value. There is no moral worth in being able to imitate. It does not increase the morality or the virtue of the parrot that it has the ability to mimic or to imitate. There's no moral value in that. But when man who was made to manifest this other life, when man who was made for God, who can't even be normal without God, when this man sets about to imitate, it actually takes on a very dark Picture. One man, let me illustrate this, one man 
moved by the Holy Spirit and God, might be moved to make some very generous, benevolent gift to some need in the community. And he is moved by the Spirit of God to do that. Another man, seeing the response of the community to this benevolent gift, may move to outdo him in his giving. May just simply try to match him in his giving. And in, or it may be that he, he will, he recognizes that this man has now moved into a place of esteem that robs him of the place that he was desiring. By the gift, because of this gift of another. And so in order not to lose his position of esteem or his position of influence, he decides to make an equivalent or perhaps even a greater gift. In the one it was godliness, in the other it's sin. We have a hard time believing that our problem isn't sins, what we've been doing. But the problem is with the man or the woman who's doing it. The issue is not just the covering up of what we've done, but dealing with the one who did it. I have no problem. I find it easy to apologize for having done something wrong. I have a very difficult time admitting and apologizing because I am wrong. Not that I've done something wrong, but that outside of Christ, before Christ Jesus, I was wrong. It was not difficult for iniquity to be found in me because I was living out of the power of another life. I was created to be motivated and, and to have the generation of another life in me. And when it was not fulfilled at the tree of life, with God's life coming into Adam, another filled that place. The mystery of iniquity is it takes the, the man of iniquity, it takes the one of iniquity in the man for iniquity to come forth. That is not to suggest that we don't have problems of our own, having embraced that way, having, having been born by that one. Jesus, or the Holy Spirit says in 1 John that Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. What works of the evil one did Jesus come to destroy? Adultery? Stealing, homosexuality? What were the works that Jesus came to destroy? The works of the devil. What, were the, what was the works of the devil that Jesus came to destroy? Adam's race. Adam's race. There would be no adultery. There would be no stealing. There would be no fornication. There would be no homosexuality. There would be none of these things if the man were right. It is because of the mystery of iniquity. It is because of the work of the evil one in the man, Peter. Peter's motives were right. Peter's emotions were right. But Peter was still living by the lie. And the truth had just spoken. And the truth that had just spoken said, I must go up to Jerusalem and suffer, be mistreated, and die. Peter was still living out of the source of right and wrong being other than the true one. Truth rested in the lie in Peter's heart that he could sit in on judgment. He could sit in on judgment upon God. Peter's the one who just said, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the living Son of God. You are the one. And went back to living out of the lie that was in him. That he could live and move and have his being. He could think outside of truth. Is it sinking in? And Jesus did not turn to Peter and say, 
Peter, have I been so long with you that you are still so ignorant? No, he did not say that at all. He got to the heart of the matter. Get behind me, Satan. Peter, you need to see whose life you're living out of. And you and I need to see whose life we've been living out of. Because as the mystery of godliness is the presence of God in the man that makes the man godly. Likewise, it is the presence of evil in the man that makes the man evil. It is the presence of the evil one. It is the presence of the reign of one other than Christ in the heart of man. And Jesus hit it right on the head. We daily deal with the sins that so easily beset us. And we should be dealing with the life that produces those sins. Because the solution isn't in coming under some new discipline of doctrine or teaching or precept or exercise. It has the form of godliness, but there's no power in it. There's no power in it. You can't overcome the flesh by the flesh. You just build a different muscle. Weak in the back, do back exercises. Weak in the stomach, do stomach exercises. It just changes your shape. It's still the same old man. God's solution is revealed in this mystery of iniquity. It takes our coming to grips with where does this come from? The issue isn't what we're doing. The issue is the source out of which it's done. The issue is the life out of which it's done. And it's this life that needs to be dealt with in regard to this mystery of iniquity. Verse 23, and he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. What are man's interests? They're not God's. So much of man's interests seems right, doesn't it? You cannot give serious thought to what Peter has just said and wonder, why wouldn't that have been your interest? Oh, Lord, not that you'd suffer. Oh, Lord, not that you'd be mistreated. No, Lord, not that you would die. Son of God, anointed one, Christ. It was so right, wasn't it? Who would not have stood with Peter? As we're often doing today. when there's a cross that must come into play. The answer is not with man. The whole world lies in the evil one. The whole world lies in the evil one. The whole world lies in the evil one. All of Adam's race is found in the evil one. It's the mystery of iniquity. The solution isn't making Adam better. Solution is replacing Adam. God's solution for Adam was to replace him with a whole new race, with a second man, Jesus, that we might be found in him. Mystery of iniquity, it takes the evil one to live a life of sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Once you... Hear by the Spirit in your inner man the, the truth of this. Once this truth sinks in, once you come to this place, you have no difficulty hearing such text as Romans 7, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. Are you hearing that? How many mornings have you woken up? 
How many nights have you laid in the bed grieving over something that you've done that you did not want to do? Something you've done that you did not want to do. If your solution is a new discipline for the next day, which you will fail in, it's God's grace that you fail in it, by the way. If you were to succeed in overcoming that by the works of the flesh, you would just strengthen your flesh in a new area, and it would bring forth pride. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in life in the lives of others. You overcome it by some discipline of the flesh, and you'll end up in pride somewhere. This is hard to hear, isn't it? Some of you are grappling with this. What's the solution? It's to recognize the mystery of iniquity and ask God to deal with the lawless one, ask God to deal with, by his cross, this evil one. It's not just overcoming the doing, the sins, it's finding victory over the evil one. And what is the victory over the evil one? Well, the evil one's reality is found in the mystery of iniquity. The victory is found in the mystery of godliness. It's throwing ourselves as helpless, frail, weak, poor, foolish ones onto the life of this other one. And let him be what he's wanted to be from the very beginning. Our life, the source of our very strength. Our minds, our hearts, our emotions, that he would become in us. That does not mean that there will not be the great and wonderful and awesome beauty of the great diversity that is found in the body of Christ. But it will always be all Christ. It is that he might become all in all. It still will have the great wonder of these many facets of his beauty that were I able to quickly move into the fullness of Christ and manifest as fully as John Brown will ever man manifest the glory of God and were to manifest it in your very presence this evening, it still would lack the beauty and the awesomeness of your also manifesting your part of the fullness of Christ. My coming through I can have the fullness of Christ. He can become all in all in me. But he will become even more in you and you and you and you. The sum is greater than its parts. Christ is many-membered, not just the church, Christ, quoting from 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Christ is a many-membered body. We need each other. The truth is, I'll never be able to manifest all that I will manifest in the fullness of time of Christ without you manifesting with me. I need you. God is not going to let me to go on without you. Are you without me? Thank God. When that reality sets in, I'm here to tell you, John 17, 20-24 will become a drive in our life. Our need for Christ and one another will constrain us to upholding one another, to, to laboring to see that Christ be formed fully in one another. 
because it's it's self-edifying. My pouring my life into your being fully formed in Christ builds me up in a way that I could never be built up. We need one another. We're going to break right here. We'll pick up here. Let's pray. Lord, we just start asking that uh, these mysteries. Lord, I ask for my brothers and sisters. I'm asking, Lord, that you not allow them to move on if they've not said to you, Lord, you teach me. Lord, you reveal to me the mysteries. Father, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we honor you and your faithfulness to, to lead us and to bring us into truth. To the praise of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his holy name, we pray. Amen. We'll take about a ten-minute break. The likeness of Adam. I think I may have touched on this several weeks ago. And in Genesis chapter 5, we find a difference taking place from Genesis chapters 1 and 2. In Genesis chapter 5, it begins in verse 1 by talking about that Adam was created in the image of God. But by the time we get to verse 3, and and out of Adam a son was born who was in the image, not of God, but in the image of Adam. Because now Adam has his own image. And it's not the image of God. It is an imitation of God. Seeking to be like God, he became a God unto himself. He submitted himself to the God of this world. And it was this other image that was coming forth in Adam. An Adam's son. And by the way, who was Adam's first son? Whose image was he in? He was in Adam's image who was no longer in the image of God, but was in the image of another, as we will see here as we look at this third mystery. But we see here in, uh, in chapter 2, why do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matter which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. It takes the presence of the person of God in Christ Jesus by His Holy Spirit in us for the mystery of godliness to be revealed in us. It takes his activity for God-likeness to come forth. It is the manifesting not of Adam any longer. It is the manifesting of completed Adam living out of the life for which Adam was created, which is God's life itself. God's life now coming forth. Is this sinking in? Let's look at this third mystery. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Understanding this mystery further helps you to understand the mystery of godliness and the mystery of Christ in you. We are having trouble believing in the mystery of godliness because we're having trouble believing in this mystery that's revealed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's look at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Anyone have a King James Version? Read it. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Yeah, the mystery of iniquity is already at work. It is this mystery of iniquity, lawlessness. If you were to go back up a verse or two, you would find out that this text that reveals this third mystery is talking about the revealing of the lawless one, the man of iniquity. That Christ cannot return until this man of iniquity, this lawless one, this, this one of iniquity is first revealed. And you will discover that Christ being formed fully in your heart cannot take place until there's first the revealing of the lawless one in you the man of iniquity in you. The mystery of iniquity is exactly like the mystery of godliness. Matthew chapter 16. 
beginning in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. That time, by the way, you remember Peter's confession beginning in verse 13 through 18? Who do men say that I am? And some said Elijah, some said resurrected John the Baptist, some said Jeremiah. Who do you say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we have Jesus talking about, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It is from this time, it is following that event, from this time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests. I'm reading in verse 21. And scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Who was Jesus addressing in Peter? Satan himself, the lawless one, the one of iniquity. Just as it has taken God in the man for godliness to be manifested, it takes the evil one in the man for iniquity to be revealed. We're going to begin as we take up this second phase in John chapter 8, the Gospel of John chapter 8. We're still dealing with this matter of the mystery of iniquity. Just as it takes God in the man for godliness to come forth, likewise it has been the presence of the lawless one in Adam's race and in man uh, that has brought forth sin and has kept sin, sin alive in us. Reading in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Just introduce a thought here in regard to the difference between the mystery of iniquity and the mystery of godliness. The mystery of iniquity first came forth in the garden, and it was something like this. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, they had to come to a place of unbelief. They had to come to a place of not believing in God and what he had said. But it was not unbelief that first came forth. It was first a lie. Before they chose not to believe God, they chose the lie. Before they chose not to believe before they moved into an attitude of unbelief that resulted into a work of unbelief, sin. They first had to come to a place of belief in the lie. Every lie is an attack upon some truth. Every lie deals with truth. Satan had to first sow a lie in Adam's heart. Adam had to first embrace a lie before he repudiated the truth. He did not repudiate the truth aside from some lie. He was in truth until he chose to embrace a lie. We see this sequence taking place in Romans chapter 1. We don't have time to pursue it. But in Romans 1, we find that knowing God, they chose not to believe God. And God gave them over to their unbelief, as he did Adam. They had to first choose to believe a lie. And from that embracing a lie... Truth went out. In the garden, truth reigned. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the truth. Not only the truth about God, but Jesus Christ became the truth about man. The truth that it takes God in the man for man just to be man as God created him to be. Or woman. When Adam 
chose to believe the lie that he could be the truth about God. Independent of God, the lie then possessed him and he embraced unbelief about God. The issue with iniquity is the issue of a lie. And before there is a turning away from or repudiating of the truth, there must first be the embracing of a lie. If you continue in my word, had Adam continued in his word, had Adam have just continued in his word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Isn't it interesting that at this particular time in the history of Israel, they had the audacity to say, we have never been enslaved to anyone. And some of us have borne that same lie. Many who have chosen the life of freedom, license, have never known a free day in their life, have been in bondage to the lie. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin, not the master of sin. There's a lie there. You know, there's a lie that, that we are in control of the sin. The instant that we embrace the lie of the sin, we are enslaved to the sin. That, by the way, is the power of pornography. The entire power and strength of pornography is a lie. It's a lie. And it enslaves. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. There's no place in you for truth. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. Now hear this. This is Jesus speaking. You are living out of what you have heard from your father. They had no idea that they were living out of what they were hearing from their father. They really believed that their father was Abraham. It was a lie. They had another father. And most Christians I know have lived their entire Christian life without ever embracing the truth that they have lived most of their life to a father other than their heavenly one. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Listen to this. Why is it that they could not understand what he was saying? Because they could not hear his word. You are of your father, the devil. Now we are talking about the priests of Israel. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. The issue behind this mystery of iniquity and the issue behind this mystery of godliness is the issue of truth and a lie. 
You are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. The power in our life that leaves us in the night, grieving over the actions of the day, is based upon this mystery of iniquity, living out of a lie. Living out of a lie. And this lie has everything to do with this independence. This believing that we are living and moving out of our own power. Believing that we were not born of this other father. The God of this world in whom the whole world lies. The one in whom Jesus came to bring an end to the very works of the evil one. It's Adam's race. The lie is that you could have not done it. The lie is that under the right circumstances and if the right things happened in your life, you could live differently. Had you have been born here or there, these parents or that parents had not encountered this circumstance or that, made this amount of money, not that amount of money, had not had that little run-in with this person or that person, had married the right woman or the right man, you would not be in the predicament you're in. You're living in a lie. These are all deeds of our Father. We were born in sin. The mystery of iniquity has worked in us from birth. We have been slaves of the one who is the liar and the murderer. And we have believed his lie that we can be something apart from God. And that is the big lie. That we can be something acceptable, good, apart from God. We can't. There is working in us by birth another power. And the only solution is to change the DNA, the genes. It's to have another birth. And it's to live out of the life of this other birth. The mystery of godliness. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Verse 45, verse 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. Oh. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. That is a powerful text. Verse 48. John 8:48 For this reason you do not hear me because you're not of God. Whoa. Sometimes it's because of immaturity, sometimes it's because of a place a child of God is. But there comes a time when you need to ask yourself, why am I not hearing? I've gone years without hearing. Don't misunderstand me. It was because I was living out of myself. It wasn't because there was not in me at one time a birth. But we need to recognize some can't hear because they are living out of another father. They have believed a lie that they could perform some act in some church at some time. that made them acceptable and are trying to do just enough to stay acceptable. 
And there's not a single thing they or you and I can do. He's looking for only one thing, and that is the life of His Son in us. In the end, the Holy Spirit says, Christ will be all and end all. There's just going to be one man and one woman when it's all over. And just like he is many-membered, she is also. But it will not be of Adam's race. Let's continue. Second Corinthians chapter 4. I believe I'm to leave some time here. I'll see if I can't wrap it up here. Let me illustrate. Let's, let me read Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to read from verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Some cannot hear. Because the word is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, the God of this world, again, the key to the mystery of iniquity, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That they might not see the glory of this other life. Their minds are blinded. A veil remains over their minds. They are in unbelief. Because the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God in you. I'm adding Colossians 1, 26. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is the thing the evil one has worked day and night in your life and mine to hide from us. To keep us in unbelief. That we're somehow out here on our own, neither moving in the evil one or obviously not moving in God either. That's we're the son or daughter of one or the other. We're living out of one or the other's life. They're the only two powers moving. When you see that, you'll understand situations like Iraq. You'll understand every bit of warfare, every battle that's going on has little to do with what the pretense is. It's to keep the children of Adam in the lie that we can we can build a righteous world. We can bring about world peace. We can deal with the enemies of the evil one, who, by the way, are not flesh and blood. It's all about this single lie that man can be man without God or the evil one. Man was made for the reign of another in his heart. And as soon as he chose the lie, he became the slave of the lie. And Adam's children have been slaves ever since. It's like a man going out and stealing a police officer's uniform. He puts on the uniform, he puts on the badge, he puts on the gloves, he puts on the hat. And it goes to a very busy intersection. He goes out in the intersection and he starts directing traffic. And you see, because he stole the uniform, he stole the authority that is behind the uniform. And so, out in the middle of all of this traffic, he says to that, uh, that lane, stop. He says to this lane, go. And all of those who are involved at that, in that intersection, who have come under the authority of that one who has stolen the uniform, is believing a lie. And the lie is ruling them. As long as they believe that the man is rightfully in the uniform, 
as long as they believe that there is the authority of the law, they will submit to that lie. But it's a lie. And the only thing that will deal with the lie of that false authority is the truth. And until the participants in that intersection come to truth about that lie, they'll keep doing whatever he tells them to do, as you and I have been doing. Believing that he has rightful reign, but he's in rebellion. And this authority that we have been responding to from birth is based on a lie. We'll stop right there.